The servants have taken the body away, and Ziva, you're still standing there with a the gun in your hand, staring off into, well, about three feet beneath the floor. Um, Arabette, you finish discussing the details of what to do with the body, with the uh, valets who look a little shaken by this and uh, seem more than a little unnerved by your competency in these matters. Nari, you've uh, got your hand on your sister's back and are patting it with all the sympathy that your legal education can muster. And uh, Calder, you are standing there while everybody else bustles around you like your furniture. All right. Um, I just hear. Yeah, that's the thing, right, Ziva? Like, you've never, lots of dead things. Death itself being dead, dead things. The state of being dead doesn't bother you at all. Heck, you're great at death. You understand all about it. But this is a dream, right? Like, this person was supposed to be a dream, not a real person. The only real people are your friends here, right? Except when you pulled that trigger, there was a clear amygdala on the fucking floor, you know? Yeah, I... I just... shot that guy? And, you know, there's another thing, too. Nari is... Well, Nari is, uh... Nari's there. He's standing there. He looks like Nari, but he just keeps mechanically patting you on the back. Nari? Are you? Make an insight check, Nari. Uh, two plus. Okay, that's three. <laughs> Well, this is, this is fucking terrible. You know, you'd feel it's the sort of thing that you just, well, you hate to see it on game day, you know? Guy gets shot like that. And... I was even thinking, it's okay. I would, That was a bad me. Yeah, somebody's going to feel, well, it's, he sure got murdered all the hell, didn't he? She shot him, all right. I don't even get it, eh? She shot him right in the head. That guy, that this lady here just shot that guy right in the head. Yep, she did that. This is sort of fucked up. Nari? I like shot you, basically. Like everything's cleaned up and gone away and people are just kind of going around their business. The only people who haven't really moved are Nari Ziva and Calder and Arabet. Uh, would you look at that? Things have taken off like Jack the Bear and it's all Jim Dandy up in here. Nice and clean. She doesn't have to worry about a thing. But she is. Sorry to interrupt. But uh, Ziva, may I take the pistol? Oh, yeah, that's why my hands were so heavy. Here. Thank you. Yeah, but Ziva, that's your fucking gun. And like, you know, you might need that now because shit, you just did something. Oh, wait a minute. No, it wasn't a real person, right? 
But why did it look that way? Fucked up. You please make a wisdom saving throw. Okay, one second. Oh dear, that is a five. For saving throws. Plus four is a great big nine. You you need that gun, Ziva, because there are some more people who need to fucking pay. You know, like there really are a lot of people that could use a fucking bullet just like that one. Because, wow, holy shit, did that feel fucking great. You know, these things are really very efficient. It just, you never it got it before, shot. you know? Yeah, you never one. really got the appeal before, but fuck yeah. Oh, oh yeah. One, one shot. And that was it. It was it was gone. That was it. It's just everything. He's finished. Well, one and shot in a rug. Yeah. And it was like he was never there. Maybe we could fix some other problems like this, you know? Are you saying you want to keep the gun? I mean, it's pretty heavy. And I don't really know how to use it. And I have magic. But... Kind of? Everyone can learn. Am I wrong I in assuming that you are volunteering as her gun caddy? I can hold it for you. Yeah. Maybe you should hold it. I don't know where it is. Right. That's a good plan. And like everything else that's in Arabet's hand, a minute later, it isn't. But I expected that, so I'm okay with it. I mean, I, I think she sort of seems a little... Uh, she seems a little more relieved once it's out of her hands and out of sight it seems to relax a little uh, but she keeps glancing up at Nari very questioningly yeah. oh yeah that's uh it does feel a little better yes okay that's uh wow that was very visceral now I really miss Zool you now Ziva own a plus one cursed revolver Hooray! It acts as a plus one revolver, but it's bloodthirsty. And so you can use it to kill things at plus one. And I mean, every shot you take up to plus three, it just gets better. The problem is that the wisdom save to stop using it gets harder. Yeah, I really wish the I'd more you that shoot it, <laughs> the more you want to shoot it. So now that Arabet has taken it away and vanished it up his sleeve, bet you get the odd sensation of uh, the cylinder of this revolver snuggling your forearm like a kitten. Boogie boogie. Hi there. Welcome to Runelanders. 
I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master. I think now is a good time to take a minute to mention that it's no coincidence that our main logo is a big red R. This is because Runelanders uses rough language and deals with content that could disturb or offend sensitive listeners. Now, we use a robust set of safety tools when playing these adventures. This is yours. Use your judgment. If, however, that is your bag, then welcome to the world's greatest curated retro-futuristic fantasy epic. As you sit back, kick back, chill out, relax, or otherwise prepare to lend an air, dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond. Will they remain merely outlaws, or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, runatics, and let's roll. Something happening here What it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down So Shakira, you got to see all this, but uh, Despard didn't seem to notice you. I would like to make an insight check because I watched Delilah do the helpless damsel routine when Dugan and I first showed up in that alley, or first showed up before the uh, the Mariah ride, and I have a feeling that he has. There, there is no tolerance for bullshit at this point. He wants to know what's up. Okay, roll it. Or you have a fate dice. At least one, I'm sure of it. I don't remember if it got to that point. I know I have inspiration, but... However, I rolled a 17, so that's a 22 total. That's plenty. What insight are you hoping to glean with this wonderful result? Um, yeah, He's really just looking is... Is this, does she seem to be genuine? It just seems a little too contrived, her showing up at his door, talking about the person who just then called her on her phone. Mm. Yeah, I mean, is, is he getting conned? Is this a setup? That Basically that. Okay, well, the thing that you notice first is that it is considerably brighter in here than it was a minute ago. Like, you're not sure how long you were cleaning those weapons, but you didn't get home till after midnight. And it's got to be about three in the morning now. It is the beginning of the autumn. The sun doesn't generally crest the eastern peaks until 9 or 10 in the morning. There's no way it takes you, what, 
10 hours to clean four pistols and sharpen and clean one sword. So looking around the room, you notice that none of the lamps in the room have been turned on, and yet the room is well lit, as though by a westering sunbeam. Delilah stands there, and the, the matter she gets, the, the well, the better lit the room becomes. And, you know, like, her eyes... Were her eyes yellow the last time you saw her? Maybe. But they sure weren't the color of sunlight like they are now. If she grits her teeth, it's like she has the sun in her mouth. Just the fine cracks between her perfect teeth. By the way, perfect teeth? This is Bailey Mina. People don't have perfect teeth here without spending a lot of money and suffering a lot of pain. And yet hers are these beautiful, pearlescent little drops. And she's holding onto this phone and squeezing it. And where her fingers are pressing underneath the skin is brightly lit with that sort of color you get when you shine a flashlight through your fingers. All right. When the phone call ends, she closes it, takes a breath, and as you see her make a wisdom save, Delilah. Rolled a 19 for a total of 21. She fights it down. You can see her like she's she's got this wrath. She's just fucking burning wrath. She just, just wants to smash a motherfucker with another motherfucker. But she chokes it down. And as she chokes her temper down, the sunshine goes away. And, uh, you know, blinking as your eyes adjust to the sudden gloom, that's when you notice the clock in the wall says three o'clock. Okay. Uh, Shakir then will um, kind of motion to the uh, to the furniture there in the sitting room. Uh, Please, uh, make yourself comfortable. Uh, Where are my manners? Can I get you something? Do you have any skill at religion at all, Shakir? Uh, Amusingly, no. So, it's no surprise. You know nothing about any sort of religiosity at all. But I'll have you roll it anyway. That's a two. That was neat. That was like just the most amazing thing. And... Wow, were you ever foolish to get angry at her? Yeah, good idea. Let's have a seat. Be nice to her. She deserves that for absolute certain. Yep, woman, there's sunshine in your mouth. This is way beyond you. <laughs> Maybe some juice. I don't know. Something to eat? Just, this is weird, Shakir. It's the middle of the night. Your friend is dead. This woman is leaking sunlight all over your apartment. And you're offering her a drink the most surreal moment of your adult life. Lift your arms, please. Miss, says the tailor, and this is the third dress fitting that you've had. It's been about half an hour since you put a bullet into the side of Juniper's head. Everything is being taken care of downstairs. 
all of this other thing, all these other things are, uh, you know, all of these other things are happening all around you. The staff is making appointments and setting up tea dates here, sporting event viewings there. Your calendar is slowly filling up. The longer you spend here, the less like a dream, it seems, and the more like a job. And these fucking tailors need a little piece out of every one of your days. There are three or four of them bustling around the room right now, measuring and taking out, you know, holding up various swaths of cloth for you to judge against and this and that. All right, we're done. I need coffee. They start gathering up their things and leave you to it. And you walk over behind the screen and there's like three or four sylphs and boggarts and knockers and things like that. Pixies, handmaidens. Could you help me get this off, please? You stand behind the screen and uh, for a moment, the camera pulls out to see you covered up to the clavicles by a dressing screen, but backlit by a window covered in gauzy shears that uh, let in light from outside, but otherwise preserve your privacy. There is a flurry of action behind this changing screen, clothes being hung here and taken off of there. And you raise your hands up, your hair pulls itself into some semblance of its usual form. And in a few seconds, you are dressed as this happens the credit in the right hand corner of the screen fades in and out scene two ziva's meeting eventually you are dressed in your regular comfortable clothes and sia wakes up from where she was napping in a sunbeam and scuttles across the floor to crawl up your back and take her usual place around your shoulders. Hi, baby. I'm going to need your strength for this. As the last of your maidens leave the room and you head off towards the kitchens to find yourself a coffee, the door remains open and you see that the handmaidens are all bowing respectfully and staring studiously at the floor. No, you don't have to do that. Looking out into the hallway, you see that there is a short, half-elvish woman with a tall beehive, looking like you, only probably about six or seven hundred years old. Oh. Hi. And I, I give her a little curtsy. She sweeps into the room accompanied by two big Oni, and uh, with a wave, she sends them off. They're young Oni, probably in their 20s or something like that. So they're still fairly thin and, you know, sleek. They haven't expanded to the to gallow glass levels of fecundity. But she comes into the room and says, you may leave us. And they stop at the door. They close the doors, and there's a click. The Vicomtesse walks into the room and stops. She raises an eyebrow at the sofa, which is sitting too close to fit her skirt between it and the coffee table. And both the coffee table and the sofa move to accommodate her. 
She settles herself down and hems while the tea makes itself out of nowhere. I sit down the sly. I, as Eva, just... Uh, okay, please tell me you're here to explain something. I'm so tired. What did your mother tell you of your, the provenance of you and your brother, Ziva? She said that she went up on the bridge and she said the spell and she threw the special items and she said then the someone came to visit her in her dream or something i suppose that covers the basis of it how many other girls do you suppose know that spell in bailey Mina, ziva well lots like they do it all the time which is why i never really believed her funny that well i mean i had no reason to that much anyway so what do you need to believe it Steven? well uh, who is he who is whom my our dad father whatever he was exactly what he needed to be to do what he needed to do why else does he matter okay yeah i get that i mean i don't know i guess i was just curious my whole life about him so it is a side effect of the perspicacious mind I gave you, Ziva. Yeah. But I wonder if you realize what's happening right now. Mm, probably not, given my track record so far. I have given my word that the Violet Vicomtesse will marry one of the Lords of Fairy. This will happen. Mm -hmm. Must happen. It can't not. If it is not you, then it will be the Violet Acorn Test, whom I pick from Bailey Mina next. Oh. You understand that if many girls know that spell, surely I must have more than just you and your brother. To choose from. Oh. And now you are here, I want you to understand that I have long favored you, but I have a plan, and it has a timeline. And if you can't become the Violet Vicomtesse, then you need to. Although I must say, what you did to your brother in the front hallway was a wonderful start. And this is why. We're having this conversation, Zeno. Oh. You must, be, you must become the Violet Vicomtesse. That you must become. It must happen. Oh. Yeah. It very depends on you. Uh, if not, then I will find the Violet Vicomtesse, who must be 
out of one of the pool, somewhere Bailey Mina, and she and her brother will be exalted above all my followers. Do you understand? Yeah. I'm glad we had this chat. Oh, I love you so. She reaches out to pinch you and then, based on the look on your face, smiles beatifically and bustles out of the room. Ziva pulls Sia down from around her neck and buries her face in the big mass of fur and feathers and eyes and tentacles. Just gives her a big hug. Delilah, you can see that there are points of light in Shakir's pupils. You've got a glow on again. Now he knows too, I guess. That's what that look says to you, maybe. How about an insight check from you, Delilah? Uh, 16 for a total of 24. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking got you. Dead bang. 100%. You think that, that deadpan expression and frozen look? That's the mortal panic of somebody who knows that they are faced with a divinity and isn't sure what to do next. You've seen it a dozen times. He seems reasonable. Maybe you could explain. Oh, no, wait a minute. He's just really fucking confused. I feel like Shakira is sitting here going, this is not the strangest thing that's ever happened with me and a young woman in my apartment, but I knew where those were going and I've got no fucking clue right now. Lila has a very long pause and then says, water would be nice or whiskey. Either way, really. Well, that model will see some use. It comes out with a bottle of scotch from the interior of the island. Now, one of the things of Scotia is that there are all these little whiskey dens all over the place. These little swamp huts where these weird swamp people brew amazing artisanal whiskeys. Like everything else in your place, it is at once utilitarian. Tasteful and expensive. So he will get that as well as uh, some water, and he'll pour some water for himself and uh, whiskey for her. You, get, you fish a couple of glasses out of the cupboard and go over and sit down, and they're the, uh, they're the ever-cold ones. You know, those ones that you can't wash with the water too hot or they'll explode? The enchanted ones that are worth more than they, sorry, that cost way more than they're worth. Because they're made of glass and they break if you drop them on the floor. This is why, Shakir, you only have two left of the eight that came with the furnishings in this apartment. But you still have the two. And so you sit them down and, uh, well, one with water and pour whiskey into the other one. As you pour, as you let the whiskey breathe and pour it into the glass, there is a faint wisp of the mist that happens with the condensation of warm meeting cold. You raise the water to your lips and it is appropriately frosty, probably about 35 degrees. Lila watches the frost form on the glasses as Shakir fills them and drains about half of hers before the whiskey has time to get cold. And certainly after the edge is off, she slows down and, and appreciates, but... This is a nice spicy thing. It tastes like peat and honey. 
it's nice and warm and oh gets you right in the belly button and then warms you up in a spreading aura from there so her sunny eyes slide shut as she appreciates the taste of the whiskey and for a minute shakir she's like she's been really impressive to look at all night but with her eyes closed like that you could see that she's just like she's a girl she's just a girl like every other girl in the world she's got freckles and dimples and a scar on her just above her left eyebrow and you know that little button nose and she's just so fucking cute and then she opens her eyes again and uh, yes, okay. I'm sorry, Miss Delray. At least she's there, and the whole room is full of her. So, please answer. How did you find me? You found me in an alleyway behind a diviner's shop. And I know, well, I don't even know what that begins to look like up here. But down there, sometimes you get somebody that's that's really got a gift, and that's Mir. I wanted her help asking, finding, finding my Ursa, and I, I got her killed for it. She holds up a hand and says, I was lucky, and she's real good at what she does. And she'd paid up her insurance, and she's back now. But... I was there because whoever attacked her was coming after me, and I was trying to get away. I see. And you know, because fate does things like this, it's exactly at this moment that, uh, Delilah, you remember that you have one of Miriam's cards in your pocket. You were futzing with it at the table before you uh, had to leave. Oh, uh... She reaches into her pocket and pulls out the card. Uh, here, if you ever need to know anything that's going to happen. He takes it and looks it over. Shakir, your phone rings. And he takes it out and answers. You flip it open and there's an image of a woman that you've never seen before with the legend that says... Sales call. Ms. Miriam, prognosticator, do you accept or refuse this call? He'll accept. Hiya, Bobby. I bet you're wondering by now how she found you. Or am I a minute late? I'm a little shaky. This was, get it, I was supposed to, uh, I was going to reach out to you a minute ago, but I've had a hell of a night. Listen, you got yourself into some trouble, and uh, you need to get yourself out of it. Now, this is your best chance, and I know this really seems like a setup. Like, why would you believe me, right? Well, don't believe me. Believe yourself. Trust your heart. Okay? All right. And one more thing. You do everything right this time. Your friend's going to be okay. Thank you. Sure. Be good. And uh, is she there? Can, can Is she around? She is. Hand off the phone, would you? 
He hands it to her. The look on his face right now is mild annoyance. But he does hand her the phone. Hi, Mir. The look on Mir's hologlyphic face is one of wry amusement. You know the sort that women in their mid to late 40s get when they're deliberately fucking with somebody's new boyfriend. Just to see how cool he is. And she says, it's going to be all right, Lila. But you got him into this. You're going to need to get him out. And you're not going to do that separate. That's why I'm up here putting cards on the table. It's a, it's not really something I'm used to in my line of work. I leave the cards to me. Just trust me. This is the best I can do. Good luck. And the picture goes away. Shakir, you heard all of that. <clears throat> he sighs. I do not think I like her much. She's good people. As you say. Constitution saved, Delilah. Total of 18. Big night, no fight, running through alleys, claiming bodies, traveling across the city up and down, riding in cabs, climbing towers, and really good whiskey. There's a moment where the whole the whole combination just kind of well we've all been there you know where you've just the wind just goes out all at once and you feel like you weigh about 7,000 pounds and it's all you do to keep your eyes open you breathe out the last fumes of this whiskey as you finish the glass and that is when your second fifth wind leaves you your eyes are heavy as they've like they've got 10 pound sacks tied to them. And Shakir, she just fucking slumps in her chair like a plant in the freezer. Good night, Delilah. Uh, Shakir will check, make sure that she is okay, that there wasn't something else going on, you know, make sure her breathing is even and everything. Yep. It's when you spy that the 151 proof whiskey on the table is, you know, about a glass and a half short, and you only opened it five minutes ago. Uh, then uh, Shakir will actually get up, go into his room, uh, change the linens on the bed, return, very gently pick her up, take her, put her in bed, pull the sheets up over her, and then he will go and recline on the couch. Calder. Yes, sir. This frame is a lot faster and smoother than you were used to, but there's also routines built in. There are reflexes built into this body that you're not used to using, right? It's a whole different set, and it's taken you all day to learn how to do things like focus your eyes and not break glass when you pick it up. All right. But you've done it. Now you can feel the differences in pressure in the sensors in your fingers. And you can sense differences in temperature, even minute ones. Really? Very interesting. And the telemetry which was going across your vision is script obtrusively before 
has now faded from notice, and it is once again just sensory data. Ooh, fascinating. I'm definitely very uh, interested in, I know that we're doing all this paperwork, but, uh, you know, it's it's hard for me to resist every now and then trying to, I don't know, I guess, test the boundaries or limits. Um, you know, the new body, new limits. So I'm trying to figure out uh, what those are. But, uh, you know, I'm also wondering if there's some new capabilities as well. Who knows? I'm, I'm an optimistic uh, sort in that way. Catch Arabet as he's dismissing a guest. He's got a vague smile on his face as you walk out across the lawn. I wait until this uh, is uh, out of earshot, and I'm like, what on earth are you talking to that foul little fellow about? Oh, my impending murder. I once again unsuccessfully try to raise an eye. Oh, really? I I assume I, I should not be concerned with this. Um... Do you know when this duel will be happening? Not presently, I don't. The details you'll work out. I was thinking a big soiree. A party, of course, with the duel as a centerpiece. Uh, you know, as it happens, uh, we are planning something of a soiree already you know, to entertain and amuse the, uh, the lords of the dream. Do you think this might be the right sort of uh, entertainment for the evening then? Yeah, why not? That should be interesting. Just make sure Jobsworth is present. I will make all the arrangements and ensure that Mr. Jobsworth is present at the time of the duel. Now, I, I was actually coming over because it, it, it occurs to me, Arabet, that it's been, um, it's been some time since I've seen Timothy. Uh, I do admit uh, to having um, uh, a loose uh, sense of time uh, compared uh, to you and, and the others, but um, I have to say, in this uh, in this new form, it's, uh, time passes quite a bit more mm, slowly. And the the number of days that Timothy has been absent is wearing on me. Um, do you, do you have any word from him, Calder? How do I put this? I'm not one to spell phone someone just because I have a spell phone. And uh, Tim hasn't reached out to me, so I don't know his present whereabouts or what his disposition is. But I trained him well. Uh, of that, I have no doubt. Well, then. See, my problem is, if he's been gone for a couple of days and the time does weird things here, because where you go is where the time is, you may have noticed, or may not, that the sun, moons haven't moved in the sky since we've been here. Three days to dead winter, as a matter of fact, based on the position of the moons right now. Calder. Huh. Um. Ripping back through your memory banks, it has been three days to dead winter. Well, since you got here. An indeterminate period ago. So yeah, you yeah, Eric makes that comment, and uh, and uh, Calder's eyes uh, lose focus. They sort of stare off for a bit, and uh, we can see from Calder's perspective one, and then another, and then another, and they're like still shots of the night sky, and they go faster and faster uh, until they're just a blur. He's like, 
Oh. Oh my. How long have we been here? I would propose it's been an indeterminate amount of time. But my, my real point is, it's not really a when or how long. It's more of a location, I think, in the dream. So if we stay where we are, I believe Tim will find us. Very well. If we leave, then we start transiting not only a place, but time. And then all bets are off on who finds what, where, when, when, how. And I, I don't understand this place any better than anybody else does. But Make an intelligence perception check, Arabat. 21 plus another uh, 2 is 23. Uh, 23, yeah. And yourself, please, Calder. Uh, sorry, what did you want? Well, actually, for you, let's do Arcana. Oh, uh, 18 on the die, total 24. There's a lot of these weird high-energy quantum magicians who think time is, is just coordinates in space, right? You know, the new magic. If one thinks of time as being a measure of distance traveled, this appears to be a frozen moment. You know, Arabat, you would make quite a fine magician, I believe. And... <laughs> yeah. To the record, I, I never went to school, Calder. Uh, but, but neither did I. That was quite uh that was a moment of clarity that i uh well i i myself was not able to achieve and that it, uh it's more than a little helpful also i i must say i i believe you'd look quite smashing with cicada wings but chacun son arabic gives the cold dagger stare towards <laughs> His friend Calder. Well, if if we are in this place and in this time, I wonder if we're able to navigate such so that when we return, we're navigating not only the location, but also the time of our return. It would be unfortunate to return to Belimina, only to discover we'd been absent so long that we'd lost our considerable interests that uh, we fought so hard to gain. This is quite true, Calder. But uh, either way, as long as we make it back to Belimina, the actual coordinates are less of a worry than the actual getting there. I suppose so, and I, I agree. We should we should ensure we stay here, so that Timothy may find his way back to us. Hopefully, he finds some answer from his adventures. Hey, Tim! Circle closes in. Uh, bird, you see what's happening here, right? Yeah, I don't know who these people... Oh, wait. Yes, I do. Hey, guys. I didn't recognize you like that. Ah, 
That explains so much. And one of the elves doesn't say anything, looks at the bird, and there's like this haze of heat. And the bird like makes this laughing noise. Uh, huh. Oh, kid, you don't know. You've been running from these guys. Yeah. That's why you don't know anything. So can you tell me what's up? We're the Wayfinders, says one of the elves. And we have been trying to talk to you for quite some time. Right. It was accidental the way I heard you the other time. Mate, I thought you were dead when you fell through that roof. So why did you say that Arabet sent you? Because he did. Mm, he didn't say anything about sending him. It's a flat circle, kid. You'll catch on soon enough. Uh, right. A flat circle? No, it's more like, uh, like a Jeremy Bellamy sort of thing, if you know what I mean. Well, I can't explain it any more simpler than that. It's a plane of infinite dimensions. Come on. You must know. Gentlemen. Lady. Welcome, brother. We have much to teach you. You know, there's better ways to get in touch with Should we maybe just pop out and say, Hey, friend, you've got the knack. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't bloody listen. You couldn't even see us. And besides, you never stopped to talk. Yeah. Now he, now he did me. He just bloody ran, didn't he? Yeah, you also just shot at me. So, I mean, I feel like it's kind of easy. Well, I, I, I shot at you after you ran. That doesn't make it much better, I think. Well, I was only trying to wing ya. Anyway, your friends are in great danger. They've been waiting for you for several years now, and I'm afraid the situation is quite dire. You should go back and collect those of them who remain. Well, being fair, if he goes back, he won't have to collect those who remain. He can get them all. Oh, yes, good point. Yeah, quite. Anyway. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. How do I do that? Feel it, Tim. I'll try feeling it. I need you to roll a perception check. 23. All right, Tim, you got it. You know exactly where they are and how to get there. Yeah, all right. Thanks, guys. I'm leaving. Oh, we knew you'd get it. You'll see us again soon. Yeah. I don't know. And, like, as you look over your shoulder, they all kind of just turn around and step through doors that weren't there a second ago. And the doors close and aren't there and were never there. In fact, you're not sure if any of that actually happened. But Timothy turns around, walks down the street to a police call box. These things are normally locked, but come on. You're fetching Tim. That lock is open in half a jiff. The door closes. The next time a door opens, it's out of the men's lavatory at the Last Chance pub on the Lower East Side. Tim, you make it through the crowd. You have a sip off a pint as you go. Everybody's having a great time. You've had a great time all night. So as you step out the door, you step out onto out of a tent flap and walk across, crunch, 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 frozen snow far away in the north, duck into another tent flap, and when you stand up, you're in a sweaty Stonegate gambling hall. 
where there's all kinds of people cheering around an octagonal boxing ring where eight dwarves are holding a Goliath down and just kicking the shit out of them. But you take a quick turn, open a closet, step into the closet, close the door. And when you open the closet again, you step out at the top of a long staircase, which you walk down, open the door, bow to the Kyonotomi's woman at the door. You know, you slide that paper door open, slide it closed. And when you turn around, Bailey Maynard. So as near as you can figure it out, this wayfinding thing, you think you've got it, Tim. It's lining up the doors. It's not necessarily finding an existing way so much as lining up doors along a route to cut distance. It's much the same as how you get around Bailey Mina the rest of the time, if you can grok that thought. It's just the way I feel things around. As you're standing there in the streets up on the northwest part of the shore, this is further out towards North Shore than you've been. Arabet brought you out here once when he felt like going out to the beach, but the thing with Arabet is he always almost gets to the beach and then he turns around for whatever reason. Either he doesn't leave early enough or he's got to get back or something comes up. But every time he goes out to Farshall and every time he's tried to take you out that way, something has come up. You're almost all the way out there. And this is the Pentacle Plaza. And it's uh, like a like boutique spell shops and little magical supply stores and bespoke wands and shit like that, right? Like the old-fashioned stuff that's really expensive. And even the people who live down on the ground out this far north, because there are no towers this far out the Firth. Those are all back towards the throat. Out here, there are some tall buildings, but I mean lots and lots of money. You are officially back in Bailey Mina. The bird talks, apparently only you can hear it. And you've been spending all day trying to get back to where you came from. Finally, you just you're not feeling it. This way, there's nothing out here. It's not drawing you. You're exhausted. You got to find a way. You got to find a way to get back, but you're not going to get it today. You're exhausted. Arabets is closer than your parents are to here, but uh, there's no food at Arabets. And you haven't told your parents that you're moving out yet. And they don't know you're gone. So, any restaurants around? Oh yeah, there's all kinds. What are you in the mood for? Maravian, Vanadian, Estamondian. How about some Paraduan? It's really spicy. Uh, I think I'm feeling a little bit of Vanadian today. So Vanadian, like pasta and seafood, right on. Like a street side cafe and pretty waitresses, and the food's great. You're kind of sitting there finishing up your third helping of dessert and fourth beer which is really good you could pay for this you probably should it seems like that sort of neighborhood but it's been a while since you've paid for a meal like not since you became arab apprentice 
that was rule number one. Food should be free, and so therefore, never pay for it. Words to live by. All right. Uh, how much is my bill? 20 gold. Oh. Yeah, the, it was probably the three steaks. You hungry. You were hungry. Oh, well, um, I think I might have to dash on out of here. You go to get up and this pretty waitress sees you. She sees what you're going to do and she just kind of melts. Can you make a Christmas safe, please? Nine. She comes, like, she just kind of shrinks. She sees you're going to make it, like, you're going to get away before she can even yell, right? You've done this a dozen times. And you're about to jump the fence and run and be fetching Tim. But just something about her hits you right in the fields, you know? So there's a you're aware that in your pocket there is a Starkweather and Fair business card with your name on it. I walk up to the lady. Hey there. So, funny story how this is happening, but I think I lost my coin purse on the way here. It's a common failing, sir, but the way you're dressed, I would imagine you've got some means you could. You don't. Oh, that's a very good guess. You don't need, because you don't need to I, do this. I'm a poor girl, sir, and I'll have to pay for that myself. Oh, yeah. We wouldn't want that happening. So, I tell you what. Um, I have, I wave my card out. I am a uh, representative of Stark Weather and Fair. And I have an um, extremely important proposition for you. Mm-hmm. So. Her name, she says, is Audrey. She takes your card. And thanks you kindly. There's a moment there where like you and she are just kind of looking at each other. And for whatever reason, neither one of you looks away from each other's eyes for a minute. And out the door you go off into the streets. She takes it like gladly. And somewhere. Well, you hope that's how they do it. You've never paid with a card before. That's what they're for, right? Like they're supposed to be for that. I think that's why Nari gave them to you. Yeah, I'm I'm shaking my head. Whoa, this place is getting to me. Oh, what does it matter? But anyway, yeah, so you straighten yourself out, and uh, after that feed, man, you feel a lot better. So you walk over to the nearest public bathroom, Jimmy the Lock. Step back from the smell and just uh, <coughs> cough a bit and spit the words of a prestidigitation cantrip in there to clean it up. Give it a second to air, step in, closing the door. You step out in a changing room of a gentleman's tailor. The tailor themselves, sitting in a chair, leaps up in surprise. Who are you? Oh, uh, uh, I don't have a card anymore. I, uh, I just walked back into the change room okay uh where's it coming out this time tim well i'm feeling my way through here but i just end up out of a closet okay you stumble out of an old closet into the back of the bedroom in a series of apartments the next door that you need to get to is the 
door out to the patio up front. I'll make way my way there. You wander right through this apartment. There's an old lady sitting in a chair, rocking and knitting and listening to the radio. And she kind of looks at you as you walk through her apartment and doesn't say anything. Just silently knits and listens to the, you know, the sound coming out of the box. That sort of music from that's climbing up the charts now. And you just walk out, open the door into the patio, and step out into a field. There are no other doors except the one that you step out of. Because second later, when you turn around, that door isn't even there. So you're standing in the middle of a wide alpine meadow. There are like wildflowers all over the places, daisies and that sort of thing, you know, various colors and breeds all up and down the meadow. The altitude is fairly high and it is crisp. And you can see for miles through the crisp, clean, cool air. From around you, a bunch of other doors open in the air. And those elves and halflings step out into the meadow with you. Three of each, in fact. One of the halflings, the one who hadn't spoken before now, says, Are you prepared to listen to us now, mate? Uh, as ready as I'll ever be. And it's then that one of the elves cuts him off and goes, You understand you're, you're, you're quite unusual, Master Timothy. Yeah, what can I say? I'm pretty special. Normally there are three, all at once, and all of a kind. But you, you seem to be all by yourself. Most unusual. Yeah, you're telling me. And that's when your white sparrow chirps up and goes, Well, you know, I'm here. Yes, opener of the ways. We know you're there. No, no, I, I mean, I'm part of his team. Oh, we just need our third. You're what? Well, there's always three in a team. See, there's three elves and three of those river folk. Well, there's going to be three of us then, right? Well, I think there's only one of me right now, bird. You're not going to get home without me. See? You can find the path, but without somebody to open the way. Right. So we need a third facet. What's the third facet? Well, I could tell you. I could tell you. But that's kind of the point, isn't it? Don't be an arsehole. Well, it is kind of the point. You've got to figure these things out for yourselves. So far, he's found out the bird is his... Well, it's not three humans. So he must not be entirely human either, must he? What? Well, that remains to be seen. Humans are incredibly adaptable, but um, yes, I find it a bit of a stretch to find that one is kin to a sparrow. Well, who told you I was a sparrow? Well, you are a sparrow. Well, I might be. Well, look at we could sit here and fire off our fucking day about it, but what does the kid have to say about it? Huh? What are you, bird? Hmm. And maybe he's not ready yet. Uh, well, we'll see. 
and good luck, Jim. Good luck, Brad. Oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, we'll uh, catch you another time. And with that, they all turn around, open up the various doors that they came through, step through, and close them behind them. And you are alone in an alpine meadow. So, Nari, as you're sitting there reading Sato Vache and uh, putting your legal mind to work on the task, essentially what you're looking through is the process of betrothal. Now, once a fairy's word is given, it can never be broken. And fate will rewrite itself to make that happen. I, I imagine that makes the, the specifics of uh, the wording uh, and, for instance, even punctuation quite important, yes? Extraordinarily. Now, this... The Violet Vicomtesse has said that the Violet Vicomtesse will marry one of the Lords of Fairy. This has been... This has been sworn already. It it will it will happen, or fate will make it so. Which one wasn't specified, and uh, basically the promise of betrothal was to entertain suitors and proposals of marriage. The reason for this was to secure a lasting peace for the nobles of Balmenach, who had been at war forever, for a long time anyway. Now, the Violet Vicomtesse is a big deal because as the Ragged Lady, she is the, o I've, she is the only Fey Noble physically present in the south of Hyperborea. The only one in this whole part of the world on that side of the hedge. By marrying the Violet Vicomtesse, whoever marries her gains claim and access to her lands and holdings. This essentially lets another fairy noble enter the world at Bailey Mina and doubles the number of fairy nobles which will be present in Bailey Mina. Why? she needs to do this is not specified in the betrothal. Why she would want to do this is not specified in the betrothal. These things are mentioned. I will now break from filling you in to let you discuss amongst yourselves. Arabet, you are present for this. And I, um, have I seen anything untoward in my analysis so far, Adam? Untoward in uh, um, some sort of uh, nefarious or adversarial magical entanglement. Apart from the fact that it has already been sworn and must be and must be delivered upon. Fair enough. One of Violet v the marriageable Violet Vicomtesse, who in this case is Ziva. I mean, looking at the legalese of it. 
the ragged lady is not present herself to accept proposals. God. The child, Vicomtes, is too young and innocent and incapable of making a decision in a binding way. It has to be Ziva. Got it. Well, Nari, how are you faring over there? So far, I can make barely head nor tail of this legal gibberish. But insofar as my investigation is going, um, this is indeed a powerful binding agreement. But other than that, I've yet to discover anything unpleasant other than the prospect of arranged marriage, I guess, I suppose. I keep coming back here to the... Uh... The definitions and the the lists of suitors and it seems to just leave it open to any of the any of the noble houses here adam insofar as i'm, I'm not sort of able to grasp the nuanced uh legal wrangling of it but uh so far i've been able to see that they leave almost nothing uh un specified right like it like relentlessly and slavishly enumerates things even repetitiously so there's no room for misinterpretation well, is, is that the, the kind of thing even, that we're seeing? even down to specifying that the dowager vicomtesse the ragged lady like the ragged lady who made the deal couldn't accept a proposal because she wasn't technically marriageable by whatever standards of the contract were it has to be ziva the only thing that's not specified is when she makes the decision by her, who it has to be. That is... That's extraordinary, Nari. Uh, I am certainly no legal scholar, but as far as I can see, in every opportunity they have to enumerate, describe, list, and define anything, they do so, even if they've done so a hundred times before. Why on earth would they leave perhaps the most important item entity of the entire agreement uh, open to interpretation. Well, that's easy, Nari. That's, that's, that's dead easy, Nari. Why? For the lulls. How the hell do these weirdos do anything? For the lulls. It's... It's an inside joke. I'll chuckle a little bit. Whatever do you mean? It would seem this is a quite deliberate uh, and potentially quite humorous loophole. And that that is desirable in a fake contract? In the most respectable contracts, at least. Well, the betrothal contract of the Lords of fairy certainly i can think of no contract which would be more respectable there's a knock on the door yes hello um looking to speak with the uh autumn warlock if it wouldn't be too much i look yes. around do, do i do i do i see an autumn warlock I believe uh, just you, Nari. I believe you, you. Yeah, 
believe you believe you're looking for me. Door opens, and who is it but your pal, Owen Jobsworth, the currently serving warlock of Kern. You all right, Nari? I'm quite well. Yourself? Oh, not so bad. Not so bad. Listen, um, just popping by for a moment to mention that, uh, well, Nuke's getting a little impatient with the waiting. So if you wouldn't mind, she'd like to entertain your sister for dinner this evening. I will certainly pass along the invitation. Very good. And with that, there's a flourish, and he hands you a card. All right, Natty, good to see you, mate. And he pats you twice on the arm and uh, walks away. Nari, you look at the card, the two words written on the card, and with a grin, you put it in your pocket. Oh, this could be fun. What, what was that about? A dinner invitation for my sister. Ah, one of the suitors then. Yes, a duke. He was on the never ever list, no? The top of the list. Ah. Well then, this loophole, or at least the opening for such, what, uh, uh have you any notion of how we might, uh, use it to our advantage? Have I made that, uh, that major breakthrough there with the Nat 20? You have. Yeah, I'll uh, just like uh, open up uh, a book of the little like the table of contents of like one of the books, and just start reading out the uh, the list of the the major seven noble houses, and stop down on the uh, on the end of the spectrum there, at the violet uh, the violet Vicantes. Like, here's the list. Here's Here's the eligible uh, houses to marry into. And then, Nari, you feel fingers closing around your throat. Do we? There's a whispering in the back of your mind that says, Oh, not yet. Not yet. Entertain us a while longer. And the tension lets up. I'm I'm sorry, Nari, but yes, the, those are the that the royal houses of the Fae. And which one should uh, my sister marry into? The door opens, and Ziva breezes into the room. Hello. Hello, Ziva. 
whoever designed this dress must have been on acid and mushrooms and like have all of this talent to be an award-winning designer because uh, it, it shouldn't work, but it does. And fucking wow. Like there's no gravity involved anywhere in it. It has orbiting parts. Isn't this fun? Look, I made little tiny skulls float around. That's, um, I, I suppose it's adorable. Were you going for adorable, Ziva? Obviously. Well, well then, uh, it's, it's very adorable. Yes. So, what did you guys figure out? Well, I have not figured anything out yet, but, uh, we, uh, we have discovered the uh, an opportunity for some mm, legal maneuvering. Yes, Nari? A bit of a loophole, yes. <gasps> oh my god, what? Tell me. There's a pat on your back then, Nari. I'll turn around and check. Nobody you can see. I think so. Anyways, the uh, the loophole here. Yes, it would seem that uh, you're eligible, you yourself, Ziva, to marry into any of the seven major households of the Fae. Wait, seven? These are the terms. These are the terms as I as I could read them. Wait a minute. And she gives Nari a look. I kind of maybe have an idea where we're going with this. Which of the seven households would you join? The valet flits out onto the lawn again. Master called it, huh? Um, yes. A card of the right, feel Very well. And with a flourish, the sylph presents you with a card, deeply bowing and flitting away with in a courtly method. Well, I'll uh, take a look at this card. Okay, so this card is grimy. Got a big, greasy black thumbprint on it. Written in big square letters in blue ink. Such as one might find in one of those new disposable pens. Well, Arabat, it, uh, it appears I have an appointment to discuss the, uh, the minutia of uh, your upcoming fisticuffs. Oh, it won't be fisticuffs. I look at the uh, card again. So I take my leave of you, and I'm off to the uh, Fifth Street Automat. And I shall let you know the results upon my return. Excellent. Do be safe. Always. In the real world, Fifth Street is it's down in that segment of Bailey Mina. Where, honestly, Calder, everything is square. Nothing has any character. They were just pumping out whole neighborhoods on these grid patterns. 
with no thought whatsoever as to any sort of geomancy. The place lacks any sort of soul at all. It is like one of these long, squat, mercantile keeps, these big stacks of stores. Mercantile dungeons. And in this is the Fifth Street Automat. And automats are even less mom-and-pop storekeeper because you can get anything at an automat. And it's all these little wee devices and sandwiches, canned potions <laughs> and sandwiches and, you know, like little devices and mouse traps and bags of crisps and real official dragon scale paper and various drugs, anything, right? And there are thousands of these long slots set into a wall with these consoles every so often where you hit the two digit well there's one letter and two digits in this one in every bank of these slots put your money in hit the combo the machine spins it out you pull it out of a slot on the bottom got it did the, the did the card oh the card had a name o'brien right now, the other thing about this is that while all three of the walls of this place, because there's no front wall, hell, there's no front windows. You just walk into a great big open bank of these automat slots, right? Anyway, there's all these automat slots down either wall and on the back. And in between are all of these picnic table looking things, which are anchored into the floor. And usually where drug dealers hang out. All right. Are there any there now? There is all kinds. There are all kinds of fey and human and ogreish and all kinds of people, these drug dealers. It occurs to you as you walk in here that you're, you, you are still in the dream, right? This isn't actually mm -hmm. Bailey Mina. Who would dream of such a place? Why here? What a hopeless. Like, where is the, any of the... What inspires dreaming here? That is a very good question. Uh, when I think about that, the, the only thing that Calder can really think is, um, if this is someone's dream... Um, what their reality is must be very sad. There's a red cap sitting at one of the tables and he's, you know, thin. He's still got those great big, too many joints in the fingers, hands. But his hood's a little loose and his, la his football lace teeth are a little chipped and cavity ridden. He's nowhere in the shape that you've seen red caps in recently and certainly nowhere in the shape of the one who nearly killed you. There is, if you could taste one of the things that this body doesn't do is taste anything because it doesn't eat. Like it was a couple, it was about a week of not eating before it hit you that you hadn't eaten in a week and that you weren't hungry and that you didn't 
miss. Yes, you did miss it quite a bit. And unfortunately, there is no way to eat in this body. That, that is tragic. Right? Like it, like honestly, magma can cook. Magma can cook. Let's give her her due. She's good at spicy things. She's very good at hearty things. If you need to feed a platoon, she's the gal to ask. But her cuisine lacks nuance. I mean, truth be told, her cuisine lacks nuance. If you say one bad thing about her, she's a little ham-handed with the spices, right? Not that that matters to you anymore. And also, you can't remember the last time you felt angry. You know you should be angry at that, but you're not. Huh. Curious. Anyway. All right, well. Um, well can you roll me a quick insight check? Uh, 16 on the die. So 21 total. <laughs> Fuck off. Busy. So uh, I'll uh, do a very minor bit of sleight of hand and I'll produce it in a, a crisp um, a crisp presentation. A business card that is uh, beautiful. Gold, black, gold embossed. And what it has on it is what I say to him. Master Look Colder. Survey of the finest curiosities and small wonders. Uh, I didn't see ya. What do I know about dueling, my friend? The challenged may set the weapons or the time of the duel. After which, the challenger will select the weapons or the time. Yeah, I go Next. past that. I know that stuff. Uh, I'm, what I'm looking for is... Uh, appropriate communication etiquette of uh, the uh, the pre-duel um, uh, uh, what's what I'm looking for uh, negotiations I guess the pre-duel duel negotiations yeah yeah but like like the like are we effectively dueling right now well it's also it also does happen that uh, after one duel is finished seconds will become the primary all right we'll settle yours and then we're going next yeah nice all right so we give him a pause and a steady stare and i say oh interesting i was led to believe i'd be meeting with a red cap touche choose weapons or timing the matter of your first satisfaction is of course of uh, most serious priority would it be sufficient for us to uh, schedule this for two days time two days you say i should think so toil and i would be happy to meet you yes uh, i'm very happy to inform you that this also means that you and your first have surprisingly earned an invitation to a ball being held by the violent, by the violet Vicontess. The venerable and ancient violet villa, 
which has stood forever and forever. Yes, we mean to we mean to provide some entertainment for the good lords and ladies of the dream with this little skirmish of ours. Then, sir, you will find no finer murderers than Doyle and O'Brien, Esquire. The business seems to have finished. Now, may I ask you, this conversation gets technical as anything. This red cap knows whereof he speaks. He describes to you exactly the functions that you are still figuring out about this new mechanical body of yours. I, I, I will do my very best to goad him on by chirping him for his ignorance. And if I could at any time find even the smallest mistake, I will mercilessly tease him as I'm trying to pump him for as much information surreptitiously as possible. And he's doing exactly the same thing to you. The next three hours are the best conversation you've had, bar none, with anybody in 20 fucking years, Caller. An, an equal, somebody who knows this shit like you have done. It's not like running to keep up with Ziva. And it's not like trying to be cool like Arabet. And it's not like being all wise for Timothy. This red cap is the most brilliant artificer you have ever met in your life. There's a point where a couple of hours has passed and Calder realizes he's not dueling with this guy anymore. They're just having a great conversation and that puts him in a really awkward position with, like, what's his exit at this point? Like, I'm supposed to slap him across the face with a fish and storm off, but, like, what the fuck do I do now? Really, it's been a pleasure, Mr. Calder. But as fun as this has been, shall we get to the slapping of faces? <laughs> I look forward to murdering your friend. I must say this has been a most singular pleasure having this conversation with you, and I also must share that I look forward to murdering your friend. Ah! Well then, two days then, sir. We will see you at the balsa. Yes, indeed. And when O'Brien stands up, he is not so strung out and rickety as he was when you sat down. This red cap seems to have renewed purpose. And so, new strength flowing into his limbs.
Shakir? You're sleeping on the couch and there's some motion in the room. Uh, well, uh, Shakir has the alert feet, so I'm betting he's up. You're awake um, right away. Like There's just no sneaking up on you. You know, you're awake and, you know, you got that poncho over you, keeping you warm, your sword's right there underneath it. You know, it's just nothing. You're checking it out. You're a little tight across the shoulders, but really standing up and throwing the poncho out. You could probably stretch that out in a second. And uh, let's just see who's sneaking around the room anyway. No need to jump up if it's her. But it's not her. It's somebody smaller. Very subtly, you crack an eye and see across the ta- across the coffee table, in the club chair, your pal Dugan. Hey, man. What? Yeah, hey, relax, you're dreaming. In about ten minutes, people are going to come through your door and try to kill you, man. You're probably not going to let them, but... I don't have too much longer. And I just wanted to say thanks, man. This is how it ended. Oh. Nah. It ain't over yet, brother. There's still you. And you are with me. Always. Now get me out of this. Get yourself out first. I will. All right, man. You stay good, Shakir. All right, I ain't far. You need me, I'll know. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, is that whiskey? It is. And there's like fucking 16 hours of you and he trading old stories for the next 10 minutes of which passes because time is not the same when you're dreaming. By the time the bottle's done, Dugan stands up, shakes your hand, gives you a big hearty hug. And as you walk into the door, you realize that you're dreaming. Like, there's no need for this, right? But uh, he pauses. You're about six feet back from the door. And I mean, this has been your way many times. He'll come over and drink himself silly on beer. And you guys will just laugh and play cards or shoot the shit. Or you'll have some people over and you know, tell stories or watch somebody paint a picture or something like that, right? Um, just pastimes, you know, when you're not off fighting. And uh, Dugan always, you know, stops and says something before he leaves, right? And right now in your dream, you can't think of what that was. But he looks at you now and he says, They're here.